0: Something we all enjoy as Americans is a real good sports team. I mean, we, we like watching really good teams do really, really, really good things. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can uh, turn on the TV today and you'll watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers play. And last year, nobody watched, and not last year, two years ago, no one watched the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But all of a sudden, in the last two years, everyone's been real, real high on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And the reason why is because of their Hall of Fame best-in-the-universe quarterback. But I wonder how good that quarterback would be if he didn't have an offensive line. If he was out there with the ball with nobody there in the front blocking. I wonder how great he would be if he didn't have four of the best receivers in the NFL on his left and right side. What would it look like for him to be standing back there all alone, would we say that he would perform well? Probably not. We all understand that football and most sports, and actually, as a matter of fact, most things in life, are a team endeavor. Right? We understand that there's very few things in life that, that are done well when they're done alone. Now, however, we also know the importance of individual effort. We understand that why is this quarterback from Tampa Bay so great? Because individually, his effort and his statistics are magnificent. He's got great statistics. He's got Super Bowls. He's got wins. He's got all the great accolades that you would hope that an individual should have. But he couldn't do it without a team. And he's taking personal responsibility as a member of the team to do as good a job as he can. Now, there's also a caveat. There's 10 other guys on the field that also have to say, I'm going to take personal responsibility for my job. And I'm going to do the best I can. And although my name might not be called, and I may not be the MVP of every game, and as a matter of fact, I may get out of this league and no one even knows who I was. But I still have a part to play. And when it comes to the church, uh, there is no argument on who the quarterback of the church is. His name is Jesus Christ, and he founded the church. Uh, And he's the MVP uh, statistically speaking, no greater human being has ever lived. I mean, this man is just everything, and he 's won he 'd win every super Bowl that ever existed okay that 's the kind of God that we serve uh, but Christ has chosen to use us in a way and in effect as his linemen, right as as the people on the field who are never we 're never going to be the quarterback we 're never going to be the greatest of all time, but we still have a part to play and Christ took it personally in his life, and his endeavor, to save lost souls by giving up his life. And in the same way, if we're going to build God's church, this is where we are in our sermon series, building God's church. If we're going to build God's church, we have to take the mission personally. Right? We, just like the linemen and just like the coaches and the people up in the press box and the, you know, everybody, no matter what part they play, if they don't take their place personally, they're not going to succeed. And if you and I, when it comes to building God's church, if we're not going to take it personally, if you and I aren't going to stand up and say, whatever part I'm playing, whatever position I'm in, whatever time is allotted to me, I'm going to take it personally. And if we don't do that, we're going to risk a lot of things. We're going to risk things like churches slowly dying. And and we see it all over. Uh, I'm tempted to ask the questions when it comes to a lot of churches dying, uh, not to the decline of Christianity in America, but the decline of people's participation in taking personally the call to build God's church. Because I'm confident, as confident as I've ever been in my life, that if God's people would take personally God's call to build His church, I think we'd see a resurgence in people coming to Christ. I think we would see God's church being built here in New Braunfels in a way that we've never seen before, if we take personally the call to build God's church. As a matter of fact, Christians, uh, we'll find out in the text this morning, must eagerly engage in the lives of others for the purpose of equipping one another to have full assurance of faith in Christ so that the church is functioning properly and so that the church will have an immovable faith. And that's what Paul wants us to see here in Colossians chapter 2, starting in verses 1 through 5. Go ahead and flip open in your Bibles if you have them there, if you have your laptop or iPad open, go ahead and Go to Colossians 2, 1 through 5. Because we don't want a church that has attrition and it is slowly dying and decaying because we have people who aren't taking their personal responsibility. And maybe you're cynical-minded and you're thinking, well, you know, it's not about the church, it's about people. Well, the church is made up of people. And what happens when individuals don't take their personal responsibility to build God's church we find in a lot of these churches that are dying, and in the world around you, your neighbors, you're going to find that when people aren't taking their mission to build God's church personally, we find individuals who are stumbling in their faith. I mean, we find men and women, and husbands and wives who can't function in a biblical worldview in their marriage. I mean, we find parents who can't function through a biblical worldview in raising their kids, and these are all uh, these are all concerns that we have when we're not taking personally our goal and our call to build God's church, to engage in the lives of others. Because of that, Paul gives the Colossians uh, the answer on how to build God's church with strong, committed Christians who take the mission of God personally. Let's go ahead and take a look at it. Look at verse 1. Paul says in verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. We, we talked last week even about Paul's struggle. right? The struggle that it really was for Paul to participate in building God's church to the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, as we read this letter in the original context, Paul's in prison. And as I read a couple of weeks ago, all the trials and all the the problems and and the Uh, The sacrifices that Paul made to build the churches there in the Gentile communities. And we see that when Paul says, I I struggle for you, he's not just saying, you know, sometimes I think about you when I'm eating my cereal in the morning and I just shake my head and I just pray for you guys. No, no, he's saying, I'm participating actively and I'm taking personally God's calling in my life to go spread the gospel to the Gentile community. And so he's taking seriously his responsibility to build God's church. And he's looking at these people and he's saying, Listen, I'm praying for you, but even more than that, I'm in prison for you. Like, I'm gonna sacrifice my life. Christ sacrificed his life, I'll sacrifice my life. And as Christians, it's we sacrifice our lives to build God's church, right? To not build large facilities, that's not what this is about, right? Not raise money and capital campaigns, right? We're talking about reaching lost souls. We're talking about the same Christ who hung on the cross and in his dying breaths. He has sinners on either side of him, and he's sharing the gospel while he's up there, and he's dying, and he looks over, he looks over at one of the thieves on the cross and says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. I mean, he's taking every breath that he has as an opportunity for gospel advancement. And we have Paul who's, who's imprisoned, and he's still taking the time to talk to people he's never even met. He's not writing letters to them and saying, hey, you need to take care of me. I'm in prison. He's saying, hey, I want to take care of you because I'm here on a mission and I'm taking it personally. And I really want us to, to notice this. He's like, I'm struggling for you and I'm struggling for those at Laodicea. And he'll talk later about a church in Heropolis, which these are three churches you have over there in the Lycus Valley in that area. And it's an area where one of his disciples that he presumably had led to Christ, Epaphras, there in Ephesians and in Ephesus when he was preaching the gospel in Ephesus during his church planting journey. You have this disciple that Paul had led to Christ in Ephesus go over to Colossae, and he's going over to Laodicea and Heropolis, and he starts this church planting movement in the Lycus Valley. And then what we see here is uh, somehow Epaphras made his way back to Paul, and now they're fellow prisoners. Either Epaphras is there in prison with him, or he's over there taking care of Paul and meeting his needs. And Epaphras says, hey, man, there are these churches, and I know you've never met them. There are these Christians. You've never seen them in your life. You wouldn't know their names. I'd like to share some with you just so you can start praying for them. And Paul's like, how about this? How about I write him a letter? How about I let them know how much I genuinely care for them and all the work that God has been doing on their behalf through Paul, through Epaphras, and through all those Christians who are taking the mission personally. And I'd like to take this opportunity to talk to them, to encourage them, to build their faith. I know they're going through some hard stuff down there. I mean, there are people who are telling them that their faith isn't sufficient. There are people down there in Colossae who are saying, Jesus isn't the only way. And so as the Apostle Paul says, I want to go and strengthen their faith. I want to go and I want to invest myself into their lives. And although I can't be there with them, I'm going to do the second best thing in the ancient times. And I'm going to Zoom call them. (laughs) Right? I'm going to to go call them on the phone. No, he had to go. He had to write a letter. That's the second best thing you can do in the ancient times. And he, he did it. And this is what he says. <clears throat> there's a struggle I have for you guys, and I've never even seen you face to face. And what I want us to look at here is this. Paul's never met these people, yet he took the opportunity to engage with them about their faith. And what I need you and me to really uh, internalize today when it comes to God's Word is we need to do this, and it's point number one on your outline. If you're writing notes, and I hope you are. I hope you're taking notes. I hope you have your pen with you. If you don't, let us know. We have Uh, notes outside. You can fill these in. But point number one is this. Look for opportunities to engage in the faith of others. As Christians, it's paramount. Like If we're really going to build God's church, and you really say, I'm I'm one of those people who want to take it personally when it comes to doing what God asked me to do, then we've got to, like Paul, Regardless what situation we may be in prison, right? We may be in a bad place in our lives. We may have just got let go from our job. You know, whatever you went through, we still need to understand that every moment in our life is an opportunity to engage in the faith of others. A couple of chapters after this in Colossians four, Paul says this when it comes to the way that we ought to use our time. I mean, and this Paul continues this theme like we need to be investing in people. We need to understand that the clock's going to run out for all of us. We've got to understand that you know each day that passes by is a lost opportunity. And here in verse 5, he says this in Colossians 4, you need to walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time, what he means there, what we can gather from that, he's saying you need to redeem the time. To make the best use of time, he says you need to redeem the time. You can be doing whatever you want. You can be gardening. You can be playing video games, you can be going to the movies, you can be going to the Friday night football game this next week. You can be doing all these things, and those are things you can do to use your time. And Paul is saying, we need to redeem that time. Instead of taking all this time to indulge in these self-indulgent activities, what we ought to be doing is saying, i got to redeem this time. Like, instead of vegging out on, uh, on social media for three hours, instead of vegging out on Netflix for a while, what I've got to do is I've got to look for opportunities to engage in the lives of others. And of course, you can say, Pastor Hayden, I can do that at the football game, I can do that in the garden, and I'd say, yes, you could. So do it, right? I mean, you still need to redeem that time. It's by all means, as you're going, make disciples. But make sure as you're going, there are people that you can disciple, it says in verse 6, in chapter 4, look at that in verse 6, it says, uh, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. See, when we're looking for opportunities to engage in the faith of others, it's really important that we take the time to know what we're doing and what we're saying, right? If we're going to look for opportunities to engage in the faith of others, we better know a little bit about our own faith, a little bit about the faith of other people, and a little bit about what's going on in our world. If we're going to engage in the lives of other people, we ought to know how to answer each person. And we're not going to know how to answer each person unless we are learning ourselves about what's going on in the lives of other people. Unless we understand, like the Colossians were dealing with, some heretical understanding of the Bible, right? If we don't understand what people are saying about God's Word in our time, we're not going to know how to answer each person. People start talking to you about, well, is Christ sufficient? And you're like, yeah. Well, why? Because I learned at my church the other day uh, that Christ isn't sufficient. As a matter of fact, that he's one of many gods, and actually we become gods. And you're like, I've never heard that. You should go look up some of those religions, some of those ideas that people have, so that when the opportunity comes to you face to face, you know how to answer them. And you don't just know how to answer them, it's seasoned with salt, which means it's done in a way that's tactful, that they can, they can consume what you're saying, and, and they can say, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. And they didn't walk away thinking you hate them, you didn't walk away hating them, you walked away helping them have an understanding of what Christ wants us all to know, and that he's sufficient, and he's came to save sinners like us. And that's what it means for us to be looking for opportunities to engage in the faith of others. I want to give you three things, three Ps. These are applicational points that you can be using this week to better look for opportunities to engage in the faith of others. Number one, you need to be praying, right? Praying for God to give you opportunities to engage with others this week. You need to be praying for these opportunities. And we talk about prayer and you know you need to pray. We all know we need to pray. But I want to ask you, when's the last time you, you prayed, you bowed your head and you prayed to God, God, I'd love for you to forward me the privilege and the opportunity to engage in the faith of someone this week. When is the last time you prayed that prayer? And so all I'm saying is, let's do that this week. Let's make a habit this week out of putting on our prayer list an opportunity in my schedule to engage with others about their faith. Number two. You need to participate, right? You need to participate in Compass Ministries. And I don't just say this is a self-serving pastor who's trying to you know, build God's church. What I'm doing here, and what I hope you're doing here, is understanding that everything we do at Compass is revolving around reaching people for Christ. It revolves around teaching people to be like Christ. And revolves around training people to serve Christ. That's our mission statement, right? I mean, so everything we do as a church is to do this exact thing. I mean, every ministry that we participate in is looking for opportunities to engage in the faith of others. So what I'm saying here is you don't have to wait to leave Compass Bible Church or whatever event we're, at, we're having to go do this. We're not saying, you need to leave so you don't go do those things. Or we're saying, hey, when you're a part of Compass and what we're doing, you are doing those things. And we know God wants us to do those things. And so we want to be the kind of church that is participating in those things, that is engaging in the lives and the faith of others. And so when we have a women's event, when we have a men's event, when we have a student event, when we have kids' events, right, when we have church on Sunday, there are opportunities for us to engage in the lives of others, in their faith, and we need to take advantage of those opportunities. Number three, you need to pledge to engage with someone who is not a Christian. You need to pledge. It means you just need to promise, you need to commit to it, you need to say, you know what, it may be awkward. And I may not know how to do it, and I may not be a professional like, like you, uh, but I'm going to pledge to engage with someone who is not a Christian. And you may ask, well, how do I know who's not a Christian? Listen, I'm not going to sit here and debate with you how we ought to know if people are Christians or not Christians, but the Bible makes it pretty clear that if their life isn't bearing the fruits of a Christian, we, not casting judgment, not pointing our fingers and condemning them to hell, but we, with a certain degree of certainty, a certain degree of certainty, can look at them and say, most likely their life reflects the truth that the Holy Spirit does not live in them because Christ has not redeemed this person yet. Because we believe that the power of God that redeems souls will transform souls to live for God's glory. Are there exceptions? I'm sure you can tell me 20. But what I'm saying is don't let that be your excuse to say I don't want to engage with that person. They're just a Christian having a bad day. And I'm saying you should should be looking out and looking for opportunities and looking at people who that person doesn't show the fruits of the Spirit. And I want to go engage with them to help deliver them, as we talked about last week, to the cross of Christ and share with them the gospel that perhaps they've never heard before in their entire life, or at least a gospel that saves for that matter. And so what I'm asking you to do this week is to write it in your notes, write it in your prayer journal, to pledge to engage with someone who's not a Christian. Some of you may ask, "Well, I don't really have those opportunities." Well, me—I'm a pastor. Everyone, everyone on my staff better be saved. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, we have to be creative, is what I'm saying. I had had a guy talk to me from our church this past week, and he's part of a uh, a a, a business uh, community. And he had the opportunity this past week to uh, talk about his community in front of in front of all these these business owners here in New Braunfels. You know what he did? He took the time to share the gospel. He took the time to, to talk about, hey, why am I here? I mean, he had an opportunity to propagate his business and say, look at me, look at me, look at me. And what he did and said is, you know what I could really do? I have a captive audience for a few minutes. And they need to know something way more important than what I do for a living. They need to know why I'm living. right? They need to understand what I'm doing here. And what I'm doing here is trying to build God's church. And what I'm doing here is trying to reach lost souls and deliver them to Christ. And so what I'm saying is, Maybe you need to be creative. Right? Maybe you need to be thinking, how could God be using me and giving me opportunities to share the gospel with people? Right? And it doesn't always look like cold calling and knocking on people's door, which it does look like those things sometimes. But God is going to give you opportunities throughout your whole life to share the gospel to give people opportunities to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ. And what we have to do in our lives is we have to be looking for those opportunities. And when the opportunity comes up, we don't sidestep and say, whoop, ah, I missed it. No, no, we, we take those opportunities. We say, this is it. This is my divine opportunity, my divine appointment to bring the gospel of Christ to somebody who really, really needs it. We say, okay, 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 all right. I get that this needs to be done. I get that it's a team effort, but why me? Like why me? Why do I have to do this? Okay, why is that my job? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2 there. Colossians 2, verse 2. Here's why I do this. Because I want their hearts to be encouraged. Like, I want their lives to be knit together in love, right? I want these people in New Braunfels to reach all the riches of full assurance that they understand and that they know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm doing it, right? And I know that in Christ, verse 3, look, that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right? And y'all remember the Colossian heresy is this idea that you could, you have to find higher wisdom outside of Christ, that there is a hidden wisdom and a hidden knowledge that you don't know unless you come to so-and-so who can tell you so-and-so. And and if you go to so-and-so and and get so-and-so, they'll give you this knowledge that can get you where you want to go. And so what Paul's saying in verse 3 is like, listen, it's that mystery that's in Christ that has been revealed to the world that Paul himself was an apostle to the Gentiles to reveal the mystery of Christ which is that Christ is not no longer just for the Jews. Like you know, God's not just trying to redeem Jewish people. God now is for the whole world. God wants Gentiles to become Christians. God wants Gentiles to be redeemed in Him. That's the mystery of the gospel. And Paul's saying, you want to know all this good news? Well, it's all hidden in Christ. All the things that have to do with the wisdom and knowledge of God are found in Christ. So if you want to figure out where you need to go, Where we need to take people in New Braunfels when they come up to us and say, I don't know how to live my life. My marriage is a wreck, right? My kids don't love the Lord and they sure don't love me. And I'm telling you, I know where the wisdom and knowledge is found to help you live a life of godliness. But I don't just want to give you God's word and just say, yeah, go figure it out. I want to show you this wisdom and knowledge. I want to engage with you because I want to tell you, God's got answers for all the problems of our life. But the biggest problem in our life is that we need Jesus and that we need to repent and turn from our sins and trust in Christ. But we're going to do that because we know that the wisdom and knowledge of God is hidden in Christ like a treasure looking to be discovered, looking for you and I to go do the work. I mean, all, we've all seen treasure hunts, and we've all seen movies where people do work to go find treasure, and it's the whole movie. The whole movie plot is, hey, we heard there was a treasure, and we're going to spend the next three hours to go find it. And that's what we do with treasure. We go look for it. You don't see treasure just lying over in the middle of the road, Right? And the concept's still the same here. We got to search for it. We got to go look for it. I mean, Jesus gives a parable and says, you know, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is like someone who was out in the field, and they discovered a treasure. Then they put it back and they buried it, and they went and they sold everything that they had. They bought the field. They sold everything they had and bought the field, not because they wanted the field, because they went and they found a treasure there, and they said, I'm willing to give up whatever it takes to get that treasure. And that's all we're trying to do as Christians is to show people that there's treasure here. And it's not easy. I mean, we're gonna have to search and we're gonna have to pray. And we're gonna have to ask God to reveal it to us and to show us and that his spirit would bring to understanding and a knowledge our lives that all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it's not gonna be easy. And that's why we gotta look for opportunities to engage in people's faith. That that means we have to work hard. Because we wanna bring people to that knowledge, right? And I put five phrases here in these verses to help us understand really what Paul's getting out of this, right? Uh, the first part of verse two, right? That we need to encourage their hearts, right? And really this word heart, I don't get to in all the Greek, like cardia, right? Uh, cardiac is really where we get that word, heart, cardiac, cardia, uh, he wants their hearts to be encouraged. And he's not trying to cut open their heart and look in there and say, man, is that heart encouraged? Is your fleshly heart encouraged? No, that's not what this is about, right? He's saying something else. He's saying, I want them to be fully engaged. And that's really what we're saying here. I want them to be fully engaged in what God is doing in his church and in his people. And so that's really what we need to see. We've got to be fully engaged. We've got to be people who are fully engaged in building God's church. We've got to take it personally. If we want other people to do it, guess who has to do it first? We do. I mean, we all, you know what we all love when we visit a church, and some of you are visiting here, and you hear testimonies like, man, I love that church. They're just all fully engaged and all in it. Well, you want that church. Everybody wants that church. But are you part of that church? Are you willing to be fully engaged as a part of that church? Are you one of those people who check your watch and doze off, that pastor's been talking too long, right? Or are we fully engaged in what God's doing here? All right. Secondly, look at verse 2B, the second part of it, right? That their hearts may be encouraged, that they may become knit together in love. Really, that's we're just talking about community commitment. Right? Community commitment. What we've got to do is we gotta be fully engaged and we gotta be committed to God's community. You wanna be knit together with somebody? Probably not, not in the literal sense, right? But what you understand is the metaphorical sense here is that we're so attached that if this thing tears apart, it's hurting, and it's going it's to separate all of us. When we're knit together, that means we're all cozy, tight, and doing the Lord's work together. right? And we're all in this thing together, and that's what it means to have community commitment. That's what it means to be knit together in love. And here's why. Uh, look at verse 2, the end of it. That you will reach full assurance in your faith in Christ. We're just going to call that gospel advancement. Right? If, if you want people to be fully assured in their faith in Christ what we're doing is we're committing to gospel advancement. Because there's people in Texas, namely in Texas. I grew up in Texas. I was born and raised here. And what we know as Texans, if you're not from here, you probably know this in some measure where you're from. But specifically here, I mean, we have people that know know of a Christ but doesn't know of the biblical Christ. We have people who have heard of Jesus and God their entire lives, but when you open up the Bible and you teach them about Jesus, they're like, I've never heard of this man. Who is this? And what I'm saying is, it is our job as we're being knit together to help people reach the full assurance of their faith. Right? People may say they believe, but we're like, why? Why do you believe that? Well, guess what? Jump into the community of Christ. Jump into Compass Bible Church on a Sunday morning. And we're going to tell you what it means to be fully assured in your faith in Christ. And when we do that, we're going to be advancing the gospel. There's going to be people with testimony say, I thought I was saved, but I really wasn't. There's going to be people who, you know what? I thought I was wrong and I, because I haven't been to a church that preaches the gospel and I read it in the Bible, but I don't hear it in the churches, and I'm so glad we finally got to a church where they're preaching the gospel, and this is exactly what I've been looking for. What that means is, like, hey, our community is here for gospel advancement. I'm not here to make your wallet fatter or your face prettier. Okay? We're here to see the gospel advance. Look at verse 3. Right? Verse 3 says, In Him, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The two words that you can put there for that is Christian maturity. Right? Like you want to grow in Christ. This is one of my favorite verses uh, when, when I was growing early in my faith, because I said, huh, like those those treasures are hidden in Christ. And a lot of you in here, and I want you to pay attention in here, because I especially for those of you who say, you know, I haven't grown in Christ, I haven't grown in my faith in years. Or I've never grown in my faith. And I want to let you see, like I've pointed out earlier, these treasures are hidden in Christ. You ought to be digging into God's Word. You ought to be deepening your prayer life. If you're not growing in your faith, it's because you're not looking for a treasure, right? You're not doing the work to grow in your faith. I mean, we need to be digging into God's Word. We need to be digging into community, right? I mean, I have scarcely found a person in my life who has a robust prayer life, who has a devotional life that is just second to none, and who is living their life in communion with other Christians, who hasn't found and is receiving the treasures that are found in Christ. Like, I've never found a Christian who's doing those things, who isn't maturing and isn't just doing the great ministry. Right? I remember as a young Christian, I would listen to these pastors, and I'm like, how could they even say that? How do they even know how to say that? Right? I mean, how do they know? How does that come out of their mouth? I, I don't get where they got that, but it's so true. And I'm thinking, Because they went and they dug and they found the treasure of Christ because they were taking seriously their life in Christ. And I'm trying to say to you, there's good news and there's hope for you and for me that we too can find wisdom in Christ if we would just go look for it. If we would take the time, like we see in movies all the time, where they, I'm gonna give up everything and I'm gonna jump on that boat and we're gonna go find a hidden treasure. And all I'm saying, you ain't gotta jump on a boat. You just open the Bible in your hands. Ask God, reveal yourself to me. Help me understand you. And then start reading and start praying. And you're going to have revealed to you knowledge and wisdom and treasure uh, more abundant. So much treasure, you're going to have to give it away to people. And that's what God wants. The last one here, verse 4. And this is what's so important. It's really the crux of this entire letter. And I don't want you to miss it. Verse 4. Here. I say this. I say all these things in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. We know that that's what's going on right now. Paul's trying to give a a really good defense of why Christ is sufficient, because what was going on in this time in Colossae, like we've talked about over and over again, is people are looking at him, pointing their finger at him, saying Jesus isn't enough. Like you need more than Jesus. Like there, Jesus is only going to get you halfway. You got to do some other stuff to get the whole way. And what Paul's saying is, listen: you need to be fully engaged with God's church and with God if you want to not be deceived into plausible arguments. Right? You need to be committed to community, right? If you're not going to be deluded and deceived, right? You need to be off for gospel advancement. Like you need to understand how to give people answers to questions that, about their faith and about life, or you're going to be deceived and deluded. You need to be about growing in your relationship with Christ, or you could be deceived and deluded to these plausible arguments that society has given us about why God's not real and how the world got created right? and how Jesus was never a historical human figure or how Jesus was never actually crucified. And he didn't die on that. I mean, there's people and groups of people who believe everything I just told you. And you may be deceived by those if you're not engaged in God's church. If you're not committed to a community, if you're not trying to understand about God's word so you can advance the gospel, and if you're not trying to grow in your faith, these things could easily delude you and deceive you into believing things that are not true. And so Paul says this, and I say this, that no one may deceive you with plausible arguments because we need the last two words that I want you to write down. It's faithful accountability. We need faithful accountability. We need people who can look at us and say, whoever told you that, I want to go hit them right on top of the head. What you can do instead is say, hey, where does the Bible say that? Where where in the world did you learn that? Because I'd like to show you where God's word says otherwise. And that's faithful accountability. And when you have these things, these five things that we just talked about, guess what? It's going to be very difficult for the world or anybody else to deceive you and delude you with any plausible argument. I love the plausible argument phrase because it means these people said something that was legitimately believable like they weren't just you know spitting random thoughts they were saying things that "Ah, makes pretty good sense I may take that with me no it's okay if people give plausible arguments because God's word knows how to handle plausible arguments you do believe God's word is way better than a plausible argument right God's word and his thoughts and his understanding is higher than ours so God and his word are not afraid of a couple of good logical arguments that come from secular people Secular thoughts, secular theology. God's word can handle those things. And so by all means bring those thoughts to God's word and say, God, what do you say about this? And then when you have a church who understands God's word, they can help help be faithful accountability for you. I mean, we can have a robust church. I mean, we can have a growing church. We can have a church that people want to be a part of because they know, hey, when I go to that church, I'm going to be safe. My thoughts and my theology is going to be safe. My life and my security is going to be safe because these people want nothing more than me to grow in my faith, right? So if this is the kind of church, the kind of faith that you want, the kind of church, the kind of faith you want to see in others, then you're going to have to do this, and it's point number two. You're going to have to deepen your relationship with others. If you want those five things that you wrote down, if you want those to be a part of your life and a part of this life in our church, you have to deepen your relationship with others. I mean, can you imagine trying to keep someone accountable who has bad theology and you see them at church every week and you kind of wave at them, but you've never talked to them? And the first, thing that, the first time they come up to you and say, hey, I heard that you know, Jesus actually never died. One of my uh, Muslim friends told me that, that Christ was actually not crucified. And you're going to sit there like, I don't think I know you well enough to tell you you're wrong. And you're going to like, oh well, I don't think that's true. Well, I got to go. We'll talk about that later. No, 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 no. You need to be deepening your relationship with people. So when the questions come up, you can you can keep people faithfully accountable to His Word into the community, right? That you deepening your relationships so you can help people mature in their faith, right? It's our Christian life is all about deepening our relationships with people. And if you think we're the only people that Christians are the only ones who see the need for this, as a matter of fact, a new study from Harvard University just recently came out um, on loneliness in America. Right? People who don't feel like they have deep, meaningful relationships with people or people who they can count on or look to in their life. And they found this when it comes to loneliness in America. 30% of all Americans suffer from what they call, quote-unquote, extreme loneliness. So this isn't like, oh, man, I wish I had a friend to go out with tonight. Now, these are these people who say, I'm extremely separated and isolated and have nobody who's going to do those five things that we just talked about. And of those people included 61% of young adults and included 51% of mothers with young children. Do you hear that? So if you, like, you see a young person or you see uh, a mom with young children, you are most likely, uh, you're 50% likely to see a person who is suffering from extreme loneliness. And I'm not here to try to speak on behalf of all the extremely lonely people here. But what I'm here to do is speak on the behalf of the fact that God t- teaches us that we need to have deep, meaningful relationships with people because that's what keeps the church strong and healthy. And we're not going to build a healthy church if we don't have people who are deepening relationships with one another. You've all, We've all been to a church. I've worked at church. I've led in churches where we had superficial relationships, when we showed up and we just waved at each other and nodded and smiled. And I didn't know 90% of the people in that church. And you know what? I didn't have a deep relationship with 90 people in that church either. And what I'm trying to tell you and what I want us all to know is We want a strong church. We're going to have to deepen our relationships with others. See, we live in a day and age where the world needs deep, meaningful relationships. I mean, we know that. I mean, this is no secret to you. I mean, this is like general uh, revelation. I mean, you look around, you look at the natural revelation of what we have around us, we know that the world needs this, right? And there is no more meaningful relationship than a holy God who lives in a holy people who live in a lost world, right? You want to know who is best fit to create deep, meaningful relationships? Christians. When we have the Spirit who lives in us calling us to be holy, desiring to see lost people saved. Man, we should be like the tier one people that people want to go to when something's wrong. Like, I know that guy. I want that guy to be in my corner and I need a deep relationship and I know that one's going to give it to me because we ought to know all about deep, meaningful relationships because we're Christians and we ought to be pouring that out in the lives of others, like Paul is in prison right now. So here, some more application. We're going we're to leave this church, and we're going to be a strong church in this next seven days, because we have some more application right here. Number one, and it's literally a repetition from last application. Participate. I keep saying this on purpose because of the pastor. I want to keep encouraging you. Participate in the life of the church. Right. For those of you and especially young people. I am young people and I like this. I won't always be young people, but I'm young people now, so young people might listen to me, okay? 61% of you don't have meaningful friendships, all right? So hear me out here. I have a lot of meaningful friendships. And you know my average age of my friends is probably somewhere in the 50s. Like that's the average age of my really close friends, 50s and higher. Not that I don't have young friends, but I'm saying if you're only trying to look for your young friends within your like age group, you're looking in the wrong place. Like, not that you're not going to have friends in that age group, what I'm saying, if all your friends look like you, smell like you, and act like you, you you're not going to have a lot of deep, meaningful friendships, right? You should have friendships, and it's called the church of God. And the church of God is made up of all the generations and all the kinds of people, and you should be trying to have that kind of relationship with everyone. And that's why at Compass, we try to do our best to make sure we have deep, meaningful relationships and ministries that have all kinds of people out of them. For instance... This weekend. If you've been at Compass this weekend, you were busy. So praise God that you're here this morning, right? Number one, Compass women hung out. And it was a blast. You guys did that on Friday night, and it was great. And there was tons of women there. Yesterday morning, all the dudes got together. And there were old men and there were young men. There were athletic men and unathletic men. Okay. (laughs) And it was great. And I bet you haven't had that much fun in weeks. And what I'm saying is, man, we're gonna create opportunities. I mean, right now you're all hanging out together at church. And this week we have Compass students, we have Compass kids, and we have life groups for everybody in our church. And I'm trying to say, don't tell me that you don't have opportunities to create deep, meaningful relationships at Compass Bible Church because we're steeped in deep, meaningful relationships. The question is, are you willing to commit to deep, meaningful relationships? And I hope the answer is yes. Quickly, number two, be humble. And this is what I wrote, and I want to read it. Anyone who cannot humble themselves cannot have deep, meaningful relationships with others. If you are the prideful one in the relationship all the time, you're never going to have a deep, meaningful relationship because nobody wants to be around a deeply prideful person. And so what we got to do is be humble people. Like You can't have a relationship with God if you're not humble. Think about that. If you could not humble yourself to the point where you knew that you couldn't save yourself and that you got to this point where you knew that I need to return away from my sins and a life lived for myself and I need to turn to Christ, you couldn't even have a relationship with God. So what makes you think you can have a relationship with anybody If pride keeps you out of a relationship with God, pride's gonna keep you out of relationships with everybody else. I'm looking at every one of us in here. Pride has to go. We have to be humble. And thirdly, you need to pray. You need to pray that God would grow your love for people. One of the treasures that I found in Scripture as I was reading, I never heard it preached on, uh, but when I was reading, I, I ran across 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 years ago. And Paul said, and I pray that the Lord would make you increase and abound in love for one another. That makes sense, right? Love for the church. You ought to love the church. But what he said after that, I'm like, whoa, that was great. He says, increase and abound in love for one another and for all. I said, huh. Like, Paul's literally praying that we would grow our love for one another as Christians, and we ought to, right? When you have the opportunity, do good always, especially to the household of God. We understand our commitment to God's church. But he said, I want your love to grow for the lost. Like, you need to be praying like, God, help me love the lost. Help me love people who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if I'm not going to love the lost, I'm not going to have a desire to go reach the lost. And so we need to be praying that God would grow our love for all people. When we deepen our relationships with people and we engage with people in their faith, right, we're going to find ourselves emotionally, physically, and spiritually invested in the discipleship of others. Right? Christ did it. Right? Paul did it. Paul, like, emotionally involved. Paul's struggling on behalf of these people he's never even met. And he's very emotionally involved. And he's physically involved with these people. He's literally in prison because of the same gospel he's preaching to plant that church. He's physically involved in the life and ministry of these Christians. And then spiritually, I mean, he's literally praying and investing in the leadership of that very church. He's with him. Epaphras is with him right now. And he's like, I'm praying for your pastor. Your pastor is with me. I want to get him back over there with you. But right now, I'm going to spiritually invest in him. And I want to spiritually invest in you guys. I'm writing you this letter right now. I mean, that's what it looks like for Christians to invest in discipleship. We've got to be emotionally involved and physically involved and spiritually involved. And that's why this whole last few weeks I'm building this church series, I'm talking about it's hard work to do what we're doing. Like, when you're spiritually and emotionally and physically involved in the discipleship of other people, you're going to be tired. Some of us are going to cry, all right? Some of you are going to get testy with one another, all right? Because that's what happens when you're exerting yourself For the ministry of the gospel. And that's okay as long as we get out of this thing unified and knitted together. I don't want any tears in my nice knitted sweater, all right? And God doesn't want any tears in his church. You know what I'm saying? So that's what we got to make sure we're doing here. And that's really what we see in verse 5. Look at verse 5. We see this emotional, physical, spiritual investment that that Paul has made. In verse 5, Paul says, For though I'm absent in body, I am with you in spirit. All right don't, we don't have to go super ethereal here, right? It's an idiom. He's just saying like it's raining cats and dogs. You know it's not raining cats and dogs, but you know it's raining real hard outside, okay? So he's not saying, I left my body, and it's frozen in prison, and I'm over here with you floating here, and he's not saying that, okay? What he's saying is, listen, I know I'm not with you, but I'm with you, you know? Like, I know I'm not there, but I'm there, right? You know, like, that's what he's saying, and you've done this, right? We all have missed somebody. I remember when me and my wife were dating, I went to Israel, and I'm like, "Girl, I, I you know, not that I, I'm like, I don't want to be in Kansas City. I'd rather be in Israel." But anyway, I'm like, "Girl, I'm not with you, but I'm with you. Like, I miss you. Like, I want to be in where you are, but I'm not. But know that I am. You know. And you all have that desire in your life, and you've missed somebody like that, and you have desired someone like that. And Paul's saying this to people he's never met, and so like I'm saying, make some room in your life for people you've never met. Make some room in your life to invest in people who you don't know. Because he said, listen, I may be in prison in my body, but really, I am with you in spirit. And here's, here's the beautiful thing that he's saying here. I am rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. I love the concern that Paul has for people he don't even know. And not only the concern, like he has the opposite effect of he's celebrating. Like he's like, I am rejoicing that when Epaphras came and told me about you guys, man, you guys were just doing great things. Like your faith is strong. You're having persecution, which just means that you're living your faith out loud. People know what's going on. So of course people are telling you things about you that that aren't true. And of course they're saying things about God that aren't true. But I rejoice that you guys, and this, the terms that he uses here, I want you to circle them, okay? He says, I rejoice to see two things, your good order, you can circle that, and your firm faith. Right? Firm faith, good order. These are military terms, right, in, in ancient times. To say, I rejoice to see your good, good order is to say, hey, you guys, your church, and this is what we're talking about, the church, you guys as a church, you are in right rank, right? You guys are... Filed in line properly and correctly. Like you guys are positioned right. I mean, when I look at this church there in Colossae, you guys are doing it the right way. Right when he says, I mean, I love that church. It's organized. Right, people are are doing what God's word teaches them to do, and everyone is standing and ready in the right place. And that's what he means by saying that you are in good order. I mean, that's they knew when they said good order. They said you guys. You guys got it going on. You're shoulder to shoulder ready to do this thing. And that's what he, and that's what he says this next word, right? I rejoice for your firm faith. And that, that really is, is the term, like, you've drawn up your battle line, right? You guys have a firm faith. You, the lines in the sand, people know where you stand, okay? I'm like, you're not going to cross this military because you know where they are, right? You know that when I cross this line, you're dealing with the church here, okay? And what Paul's saying, I rejoice. Like, that's what's going to happen when the world comes at us and tells us that God's not the only way and tells us that Jesus never really existed or all these just ridiculous things that that people say about God. You know, we're going to say, hey, listen, we draw the line right here, right? Right? And when you start coming at us telling us that our faith isn't genuine and that Christ didn't come to save sinners like you and me, I draw the line there. And I'm not the only one. My whole church, Compass Bible Church, we draw that line right there and we're arm in arm and we're saying, we don't do that. We're not going there. And when you're a part of our church, we'll help you. We'll help you have a firm faith. We'll help you have a confidence in what we believe and why we believe it. And we'll give you an apologetic to go share with these people and hopefully we can see them saved and part of this body of Christ. And So Paul's just rejoicing in that and it comes out of a heart of concern that he has for them. And it's point number three on your outline. You need to concern yourself with the spiritual welfare of others. These things aren't going to happen. Our church is not going to be strong. We're not going to build God's church in any, any meaningful, desirable way at Compass Bible Church here in the hill country in New Braunfels if we don't concern ourselves with the spiritual welfare of others. You can jot this down. You don't have to flip to it, but Philippians two nineteen through twenty-two. I mean this is a verse that really just pinpoints the, the need for genuine concern for people, right? Philippians two nineteen through twenty-two, write that down. I hope in the Lord, this is Paul, I hope in the Lord to send to you Timothy soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. Verse 20, this is, this is it right here. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Do you hear that? Paul's saying, I'm thinking about all the people that I know in my entire life, and he's the only one. I mean, how, what a sad situation that the leader of the, Gentile, of the Gentile Christian movement, the Apostle Paul, can only think of one person who would genuinely care for the well-being of others. Problematic. That may say a lot about the genuineness of people in our church today. How many people do you know and do I know who would genuinely care? If I said, hey, uh, can you go check on so-and-so? They just got into the hospital this week and you were the first person I thought of because I know when you showed up to the hospital, you would really care about them. You're genuinely going to care about their well-being. How many of those people do we have here at Compass? Because Paul only had one. And he said this, for everyone else, in verse 21, seeks their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy. And that's not Timothy. Timothy focuses on Christ. Timothy cares about deepening his relationships with other people, and he cares about concerning himself with the welfare of others. And if there's any kind of welfare we need to be taking care of, it's the spiritual welfare of people. Like, where are you at with a holy God? You know, where are you at in relationship to other people? We need to work on that, and that's what we need to be concerned about at Compass. So here's a couple ways you can do it, a couple points of application for you. Number one, stay connected with people you engage with. Stay connected with people you engage with. Uh, Some of the best churches I've ever been to fail in this place. Like You walk up and they're like, nice to meet you. I'm so glad you made it here this morning. You should be a part of a live group. Sign up a Connect card to get a free T-shirt. You can come over, go to Explore and Compass, and you can come over to my house for dinner the other night, and you do all this stuff on the front end, and then four weeks later, you don't even know the person's name, don't know where they're at, don't know what's going on in their life. And what I'm saying, if we're going to be one of those churches that's building God's church here in New Braunfels, we need to be staying connected with people that we've engaged with in our lives. Make room for new people, right? Make room in your life for new people to engage with, not just temporarily, but for the long term, for the long run. Number two, you need to get past your own discomfort and relational intimacy. I'm talking about me as much as I'm talking about you, Okay. We sometimes don't want to get deep enough into relationships because we know it's going to be uncomfortable. We're going to have to have conversations we don't want to have. Uh, You're going to want to call me at 12 o'clock at night when things are going wrong. And I know if I keep you about this far away from me, you're going to draw a line at probably 1030, right? But when I get you in a good relationship, you're going to say, at 12 o'clock, he'll he'll he'll, he'll answer me at 12, you know? And what I'm saying is cross that line where people can call you whenever they want. And I love that kind of when people call me in the middle of the night, (laughs) Because I'm like, at least they know I care enough to call to answer the phone. But please don't call me anymore. At, at <laughs> <laughs> but if you need something, call me or Pastor Evan. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, next uh, three. You need to prepare yourself to deal with messy people. Okay, prepare yourself to deal with messy people. Because when you deepen your relationships, you genuinely concerned for the welfare of others. You're gonna have miss, to deal with messy people. Now, I put in parentheses here, you are messy people, okay? Like, you know, you are messy people. So you need to learn how to handle me- messy people, but you got to understand you are the messy people, okay? And so it's easier to deal with messy people when you understand that you are also messy people, all right? And number four, and this is super easy, this is what we always got to be doing, always got to be working toward, always point people to Jesus, right? I mean, whenever I counsel anybody, whenever I meet with anybody, what we say is, what does the Bible say about that, right? Whatever's going on in your life, what does God's word say about that? Because God's word is going to answer this question. The, word, the la- last thing you want is my opinion on anything. But what we all want is what God has to say about everything. And so we're always pointing people to Jesus. This whole sermon has talked about the importance of individual involvement. Right? You aren't the quarterback. You're not going to get MVP. Uh, you're, no one's going to know your name. You know, at the end of the day, no one's going to know who we are. Uh, but we still all have a responsibility. Right? And when I was thinking about this, 1 Peter 2.5 came to my mind. You can flip there if you want. You can write it down. Or you can just listen. Right, 1 Peter 2.5, and this is the, the perfect picture of building God's church, and you're in my part in it. Right? My, favorite, my favorite verse when it comes to the involvement of all of us to do what God wants us to do. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. I bet you if you've gone to my house, you don't walk up to my white brick house and say, that brick right there, I love that brick. That's my favorite brick on your whole house. Like, you don't do that, right? But you look at the whole house and you're like, man, that's that's great, right? And that's what the church should be like. No one should be walking up to any one person saying, you, like, you're the one. Like, you, (laughs) you're the prettiest brick in this entire church, right, right? But when we when we step back away from the church and we say, "Oh man, like this is good. Like this looks great." Right? And that's what we should be doing. We're going to be all living stones. We're all one stone. You may think you're two, but you're only one, right? Some people may think we're the whole building. You're not. You're just one stone. All right? And we're all one stone, and we're but when we build this thing together, each our own stone, we're going to build up something and it's going to be a spiritual house. We're going to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's really the goal of Compass Bible Church. When we build God's church here, all we're going to do is each of us is just going to do our job. You know who lives in that house? God. He's the quarterback. He's the MVP. He's the real winner in all of this. We just get to be a part of what God's doing. And I'd rather be on God's team any day than my own team, right? Because you ain't going to hear about my name in a hundred years. But we're always for eternity going to hear about the famous, the all-powerful, The the MVP of all eternity, Jesus Christ. We're going to hear about him forever. So let's be on that team. Let's choose to build God's church in that way. Pray with me. God, I do thank you uh, for this church. That our aim and our hope and our goal is that we individually take the mission personally knowing that we and ourselves can't build this thing, that we uh, can't do anything of any significance outside of you working in us to will and to work for your good pleasure, but knowing that when we all come together and we really, really, really care and we really, really want to see lost people saved and we want to do this thing together, that when we take a step back and look at Compass Bible Church in a year or five years or ten years, we're going to look back at the whole thing that you've made here and say, wow, that's significant. That was important. You, God, you worked in that, and I just pray that that would be our hearts and our disposition as we build this church together, that we would be built up as a spiritual house for you, and that through the ministry of this church, thousands of people would come saved. They would reach a point in their life where they need to turn away from their sins, and they need to trust in you, and they did it because of the ministry of this church through these people taking serious their responsibility to concern themselves with the spiritual welfare of others, to deepen our relationship with others. Let's pray that we take that responsibility personally. We pray in Christ's name, amen.